The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to David Givens in Discussion with guest today, Andrew Neve, music composer from the United Kingdom talking about the music industry and its changing role in the entertainment business and impact of technology on its artists and listening public. Welcome to In Discussion today. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Andy Neve. Andy is a music composer from the United Kingdom. And in actual fact, uh, Andrew and Eve and myself go back a long way. We uh, uh, attended school together uh, back in the 1600s. And um, uh, Andy has now uh, uh, really done ever so well uh, in the music business, uh, composing music for uh, the BBC and uh, and other um, uh, principal uh, firms and companies in the United Kingdom and, and I'm sure abroad. Uh, Andy, welcome. Thank you very much, Dave. Andy, I, I was thinking, you know, coming over here in the car today, that, that the last time I saw you, we were pimple-faced 16-year-olds uh, head-bashing to Bohemian Rhapsody, for, if my, we were if my, my yeah. memory serves me well. Absolutely, yeah. What a fantastic era for music. Yes, I, I'm assuming that you don't do that anymore. Um, well, no, not, not head-banging to, uh, to Bohemian Rhapsody, but I do, do, do still like listening to... Uh, to those classic bands because uh, there won't be bands like that again i mean that that was an era that uh, sadly i think is gone yes i remember us uh, uh going through our record collections i i remember uh the uh, the singles that we would we would proudly uh set out on the table and those days are gone of course um, yeah. And I do remember, of course, Wayne Newton. I, we we both have a, a friend in common. Um, I'm sure our listeners uh, uh, don't have a clue what I'm talking about here, but essentially Andy goes back a long way. Uh, we did uh, grow up together in England, and uh, Andy went on to became, become a, a, a music composer. Uh, I went downhill very quickly. Um, and now um, I'm terribly envious of your career, Andy. I think that uh, it sounds as if you've done very well. And, of course, um, I met you uh, on Facebook after so many years, and uh, isn't it amazing that we reconnected that way? Yeah, it, w it was wonderful, actually. I mean, it just shows you how uh, you know technology does, uh, although can be seen as a negative thing in a lot of uh, the creative arts, because it can actually sometimes make uh, the product so easy to get and pirate, pirate that uh, people don't want to pay for it anymore. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, uh, there's technology that is able to bring people together and uh, reconnect old uh, connections. So it's, uh, it's, not all, it's not all doom and gloom in the digital world. Well, I, I'm sure that as a, as a composer, as an artist, you are nevertheless challenged by technology. I, I mean, I certainly am. Half the time, uh, I don't even know how to open up Facebook, let alone do anything else. 
but uh, technology does have its downside, Andy, doesn't it? I mean, it's affected artists across the board. Uh, technology can be a great social medium. It can bring us all together across the world, and, and it certainly achieved that with us. But as a musician, what are the drawbacks with technology uh, in regards to the way that you make a living? Um, well, if we if we look at the first area, which is going to be um, the actual physical product that people used to buy, uh, there was a, a kind of a connection with the product. When you actually bought a physical CD or a physical LP, you actually felt you were getting something for your money. Um, you, you mentioned us growing up together as uh, pimply spotty boys buying Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, we were proud to take that record home and put it on our turntables and listen to it. We felt we'd bought a bit of history. We felt we actually had the song in our hands. And I think what digital technology has done, basically, is it's taken away that feeling that music is something to be cherished and to be, to be taken home and loved. And it's now just products that can be consumed and downloaded very quickly. And it's, it's I think young people don't see it that they're actually getting anything. So they're actually resenting paying for it. And so I think that uh, that is why music is almost becoming like a, a free commodity. People are almost horrified to pay for it, certainly below you know, the age of 30 or something. The idea of paying for music is now becoming a bit of anathema, I think. I, I, I do remember, Andy, actually, one of the last times I saw you uh, back in the UK, I remember showing you very proudly a single by Cars. And I was so proud of it because it was uh, a red vinyl. That's um, right. Do you remember that? And, and, I do. And yes, I, records I, came out in all different colours, and we would even collect half a dozen versions of the same song so we could get one in each different colour. Yes. I had Cold as Ice by Foreigner in Ice White. <laughs> well, you know, that is so, uh, so um, correct on your part. It, 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 back then, it was a tangible possession. I can remember being so proud that you could line up those records on your, your, your shelf in your bedroom and yeah. uh, you would be proud of collecting them and uh, there was no way that you would ever uh, sell them or, or barter them. You, you just kept no. them. And, of course, I have mine to, my, to this very day, um, yeah. although I don't have a record player to, to play it on. Um, but no. that is a good. That is a point. And, and being in the in the industry that you are in, uh, how have trends changed for younger people? I'm assuming, as a composer, your career is very much directed by uh, younger people's buying habits. Um, uh, it, yeah, one one side of of the business. Yes, in the in the sort of the songwriting in the music business. I mean, fortunately, my my work has always been divided up between sort of the pop music industry and writing for television. And fortunately, at the moment, uh, there is still work to be got to write for television programs and, and corporate videos and, and things like that. Uh, that still seems to be, there seems to be a demand still for that. Um, but that is also being threatened just purely because you're getting younger people coming into those industries who, who again, don't see the value of, of the creative process. Well, does that essentially turn young people off from uh, investing in music at all, or does it just turn them off from from uh, uh, purchasing music? I mean, how does that work if they if they've got so much easy access to music online? Uh, as you say, it becomes purely a commodity. And and I, I can remember back in our days, you and I uh, uh, and our our friend Steve Meston, we used to talk about the. 
uh, the people behind the music. We we used to talk about the craziness, and and I can remember uh, I announced one day how I was going to go down to the local barbers and and have a punk uh, haircut because I wanted. We were to, horrified, to, if I remember rightly. Yeah, well, I think everybody was, but that was when I had hair. Um, but but you know that you had a following, and it's it's almost as if uh, with Queen. I mean, I can remember that we were so passionate about that music. Um, but if young people nowadays are simply uh, with ease buying music from iTunes or or any other portal, is that commodity? Uh, driving them to think less about the quality and the vision and the and the lyrical nature of the music, and just simply as something else to do. No, I think basically what it is. I mean, there is going to be a you know a certain number of young people who really are spending their money on all sorts of things. The music is not very important to them; they really don't care. But there is also still a large following of uh, of fans of bands. Uh, but instead of spending the money on um, the recordings, they're spending the money on the live performances and on the merchandise. And I think that's, that's where the trend has changed. We're moving away from recorded music being the important element, and we're, we're actually moving back into the sort of shared experience of going to a concert. So what you're finding is that as CD sales plummet, uh, live ticket sales go up. And young people are actually prepared to spend upwards of thirty-five, forty pounds for a ticket to go and see the band, but they won't spend seventy-nine p on an iTunes download. And that shows you the, the, the difference in um, in the emphasis on on music. One could say it's a good thing that live music is being you know promoted and is popular again. But the trouble is, you see, is that a lot of young bands need to survive on those sales and because they're not getting those sales they're having to look at other ways to survive well of course that that raises the uh the example of, of bands like radiohead who will will actually put their music up for free um how does that affect uh, uh other bands in the business how, how does that go down I don't know. I mean, to put, I mean, it's for, for someone like Radiohead, I mean, they can do it because, of course, they've got a following full stop and they, are, they have got hardcore fans that will be prepared to pay because, I mean, the, the, the Rainbow's sort of experiment was basically you pay what you think this is worth. And some people paid a lot of money for it because they wanted to support the band and hence they made quite a bit of money out of the exercise. But not everyone's Radiohead. And so you have to ask yourself... Some of the smaller bands, you know, wouldn't be able to do that experiment. <laughs> so what about yourself, Andy? How has it impacted your career? Uh, when, we first, when we first started out, uh, as you may remember or, or not, I was an avid photographer and, and, yeah, my, uh, and, and my father had, had placed a, a, a camera in my hand in about 1974 uh, which actually I dropped in a river about three months later, which didn't make him happy. But but, the, the, but those were those were different days, um, yeah. and we we had uh, less complications of technology. It was more about the art. Um, yeah. it, with all of these uh, challenges that we have now, how has it uh, affected your spirit, your your ab- ability to be uh, lyrical and visionary? How, how do you work that now? Um, I think you just have to remember what's important about it all. Um, it's very easy to get very depressed about the, you know, the commercial reality out there. Uh, but I think you have to remember, um, you know, go back to your 
original inspiration, why you got into it in the first place. What, what was it that actually made you want to go into this in the first place? And to be honest with you, most of us who do this sort of thing, although, yes, we want to make a living from it, it's not the only reason why we do it, as, as you're probably the same with your photography. We do it because we love the art. And I think people will always do it, whether they're poor while they're doing it or rich while they're doing it. There's something in the human spirit that, that want, we want to be creative and it's that creative sort of inspiration that that will always be in me i think regardless of whether it's going to earn money or not so i think it's you've got to keep that balance really it's it must be a dilemma though andy uh if you look at the uh wider perspective here um obviously uh, companies like itunes uh, do you do you get frustrated uh, uh, about these avenues through which music is being distributed? It, it appears to me that iTunes is uh, providing music not necessarily cheaply, uh, but but easily. Um, but is that not something that's impacted you as a composer? Uh, do you not think that, that companies like Apple and iTunes are actually uh, um, affecting you as, uh, as an artist? Um, or, or as a supplier? Um, I, I don't know, really. It's, it's, I think it's too early to say. I mean, the, the, the only problem with the whole iTunes thing, of course, is it's set up by a computer company that, to be honest with you, that they, they did it because they wanted to sell more iPods. You know, uh, they've they've actually you know struck a deal where they can provide the content. But at the end of the day, they would be, I think, would be happy to sell the content even cheaper if it sold more hardware. And and I think that's that's a dilemma in itself because, you know, <clears throat> the main problem with iTunes it is not it is not a replacement in fiscal terms. It's not a replacement for physical product in earnings. So if you're a small band who's selling a certain number of CDs, you know. If you, if you then transfer that to an iTunes download and people to sort of pick and choose one or two tracks rather than buying your whole album, for instance, then that's quite a loss in, in revenue. And for a small band who's sort of on, the, on the bottom rung of the ladder, so to speak, that, that's, that's very difficult. You know, whereas someone would go out and buy your album and think, oh, I'll give that album a go. Now they might go and buy one track at 79p. And then what you've got to bear in mind is out of that 79p, um, the, the writer of that song probably gets four pence at the most. So you think how many iTunes downloads are going to have to be made for, for someone to make any money from that song Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've, in I've, that marketplace? And I've actually got a smile on my producer's face here when you mentioned uh, 79p. Uh, because he hasn't got a clue what you're talking about, uh, Andy. But you're you're saying seventy nine pence. Sorry, um, yes, uh, yes, the British, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, over here in America, we 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 talk about cents. Um, Absolutely, but yeah. uh, just well, ninety nine cents is not something. I don't know. Um, well, I think I think the ninety nine cents is worth about three pence, isn't it? At the current exchange rate. <laughs> 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 Better not go there, David. <laughs> uh, we, and we won't. And we won't. But but just uh, before we play uh, a medley of your music, Andy, um, you know, what about the issue that that new new bands are able to get their music out with the internet now and get a broader reach over the, the past, where th they had no avenue like that to, you know, you look at the Beatles, you cite the Beatles as an example. Isn't it amazing that without 
modern technology and without the internet, they would still be they would still be able to hit uh, the American continent so strongly. Uh, yeah. Does do, does the internet not uh, help uh, somebody like yourself and bands in the UK to to uh, gain that that greater reach? Well, it, it gains a reach, but trouble is, there's so many people doing it, and there's so much reach for so many bands reaching that it's you know I think people get drowned. There's just too much music. Um, in the old days, it was almost like a self-filtering mechanism. You you only heard about certain bands, so there wasn't so many bands to get sort of swamped by. Now, you know, every band has a web presence, and you know, there's so many bands. If you look at the iTunes front page, so many new releases, so many new songs coming out. I mean, you know, very very small proportion of those are going to be able to make any money from those at all. Um, so I think it swings and roundabouts. Really, yes, yes. Yes, people are getting the reach, but then again, the the, the audience is swamped by so many bands. This and is, I the, think that, the, and sorry. sorry to interrupt, Andy, but this is a dilemma surely across the board when we're seeing the rise of social media uh, if you look at myspace facebook i i don't know how they feature um in society in the uk now uh, but certainly over here uh they have become more important as a form of communication i think than even the cell phone um yeah. but of course you know with with social media uh, you notice that some people will have uh, 6,000 friends. Um, it, it's questionable as to how you can uh, maintain a present with, presence with 6,000 friends versus just m- perhaps having 30 or 40. Yeah, so uh, so it, I, I'm, I, I'm assuming that you're making the case here that uh, it, it's reached the point where there are so many people out there uh, drowning the marketplace that people... Um, although they have a choice, they become thoroughly uh, confused with that choice and they don't know which way to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, as far as your music is concerned, we're going to play a medley and uh, we'll, we'll bring that in now and uh, our listeners will be able to listen to some examples of your work and then after that uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, that music, Andy. Okay. that you are well spread uh, you you have uh, interest in in, a, in the full spectrum all the way from classical music through to contemporary uh, was that something that that uh, you had developed even in the early early years when you and I were were listening to the the bohemian rhapsodies of this world or was that something that that, that developed over time 
I mean, I think I think there's always been a bit of everything there. Um, just basically, I mean, obviously, I was in orchestras at school, and uh, when I was growing up, my although my family aren't musical, my uh, father was very much into classical music and joined the classical record club, and and I would fall asleep listening to this beautiful classical music, uh, and I think it just made me appreciate, you know, music regardless of its its genre, really, and uh, so I can appreciate um, different genres and different styles. Um, if there's a good melody and it sounds good, it doesn't really matter if it's a punk record or it's a classical. If it's got a good tune and it's well done, I'm I, I like it. I think. How do you uh, start the, the the? How do you begin the formula for a client? Uh, are your clients specific in what they're looking for, or do they give you uh, some sort of uh, creative uh, 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 fluidity in the, in the way that you bring music together for them? I think it depends on the relationship with the, with the client. A, a new client is is not going to know me as well, so we'll probably have quite a few ideas that they bring to the table, uh, um, but they still want input from me. And then there's the, the established client who I've worked with for years who just go, Andy, do us something for this because we know that you, you know the sort of stuff we like and you know that we'll, you'll do something that will um, encourage the pictures not to... Uh, not not be negative to them, if you know what I mean, as bad music can sometimes do to pictures. And tell us about uh, your your typical clients. I'm aware that you uh, provide a lot of uh, uh, music for the BBC, among others. Uh, what what is your what is your favourite? What what is the the, the best uh, music that you have produced? Uh, is it uh, is it for uh, corporations like the BBC, or or do you have a preference over uh, more uh, providing for the commercial world? Um, I think it depends really on the job. I mean, I think that some jobs are, are really quite exciting and they don't really have to be a television program to be exciting. I mean, a corporate video that's got a good budget and, and where you've got a producer who has a, a really good vision for the project and then a director who's getting some really good shots, a, a, a good high-quality corporate uh, program can be very filmic and be very inspiring. Um, and um, so it's, it, it depends really on the job. You, you know, it's, it's not whether it's TV or, or corporate, but it's, it's the, the quality of the, of the end product. Um, there's some TV stuff. I mean, I've done game shows in the past, which, uh, you know, is, is fun to do, but it, I wouldn't say it's the most inspiring thing to do in the world. Can you can you give me an example of of a game show that you've? Oh, uh, well, I did. I did a I, well. I don't want to uh, insult the director, but uh, <laughs> it was a while ago. I, I did a I did a game show called A Word in Your Ear, which was a sort of a, a, a daytime uh, game show. Oh, it's, it's and, not uh, it's not a Terry Wogan then. No, I, I did I did a, a daytime show for Terry Wogan as well. Yes, that that was that was a lot of fun actually. That was that was quite a fun program because that was that was where um, Terry Wogan who probably American people don't really know who he is but uh, he's a bit of an institution in this country and uh, he has a, a wonderful radio program called Wake Up for Wogan and then one day they decided that what a, what a good idea would it be to put Wake Up for Wogan on the television and see how it went so basically <laughs> they put his radio show on television as a television program uh, and I did the music for that and, uh, and that was great fun actually it was he, he's a, a delightful person to work with and, and it, it, was a, it was a pleasure to work with him he, he, he certainly has become an institution I would say oh, I, my my uh, recollection of Terry Wogan was uh, January the first, nineteen seventy, uh, when we we still lived uh, uh, lived near Stonehenge in the country, and I can remember that that Dad would always uh, uh, fire up the uh, the old fashioned Roberts radio, and I can 
remember <laughs> that that first day of 1970, and it was Terry Wogan. So he's been around a long time. It, it, it's amazing how uh, he has stayed the course. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And uh, and of course he moved from from radio into television, and uh, and I think he's very amusing. And the the sort of uh, coverage he does of the Eurovision Song Contest is uh, well, he doesn't do it anymore. Sadly, he 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 resigned from it because he he came to the conclusion it had become a bit of a farce. But uh, he was one of the reasons to watch it in the old days. Uh, and do you still watch it, Andy? No, not anymore. No, I I do remember uh, I do remember Abba winning the European. Um, uh, Contest, and I think actually yes, we, we 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 yeah, and I think we were still uh, back in those old days of uh, um, punk rock head uh, haircuts and and uh, head bashing. Uh, it, that's going back, isn't it? Seventy four, yes. Seventy four was glam glam rock, and punk sort of arrived, sort of just sort of nineteen seventy six was when the the punk haircuts arrived. Seventy four, we were still in sort of sparkly sort of. Um, trousers and high heel shoes and things. We were a bit of the glam rock, I think, in England in '74. <laughs> is 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 that the way that you went, Andy? I I uh, don't. No, I, 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 I didn't actually. No, I I, uh, I I was. Funny enough, I was a Carpenters fan when everyone else was into glam rock. I, I I'm a great fan of the Carpenters. I think Karen Carpenters has got one of the best voices ever in pop, and some of the songs that uh, that they did and just the sound of the productions and everything. I just think they're just amazing, actually. What was the course of your career um, after school? Because obviously I, I lost touch with you. Um, mm. How did you go from uh, creating music uh, uh, in the bedroom at home uh, to uh, becoming a composer? Well, I, I, my, one of my first jobs I got was uh, uh, in a record company, um, actually plugging records. So you, you would visit the, um, the shops or the radio stations and present them with the, the latest releases. I'm not going to mention the label, but, but basically that was an era where there was a lot of corruption uh, and in order to get into the charts, you had certain shops which were called chart return shops and the idea was that the chart return would go into the um, research bureau and they would work out chart positions based on that. And it, it was an era where the record labels actually falsified the figures a bit by bribing certain shopkeepers and things and so i my goodness my goodness me andy you're being you're what allegations you're you're coming out with here (laughs) was it that bad it it was pretty bad yeah i mean it's it's cleaned up now but i mean that's why i'm not mentioning the label i mean things like that went on things like that went on and uh and so i I didn't really want to be a part of that so I, i walked out of that whole world and uh, and got into um, writing music. How and uh, interestingly, Andy, how how uh, how did you or how do you now write your music? Uh, do you uh, use orchestras uh, for the for the benefit of our listeners who who are musicians themselves or composers? Uh, do you uh, work uh, purely within the the synthesizer, or do you have access to orchestras and and uh, a range of musicians? Sadly, um, there's never the budget to use a full orchestra. Uh, I try and use as many musicians on a job as as the budget allows. Basically, um, life on a track starts electronically and then for the demo and then slowly bits and pieces are replaced with musicians and depending on the budget depends on how many musicians i can can actually get on 
Uh, there's one piece on that medley that you played, which is the, the sort of string quartet sounding one on the second piece, and that was a mixture of, of real strings and sampled strings to make it sound like a bigger string section than I actually could afford. Um, and so there are little tricks like that you can do, basically. You can bring musicians in to sort of give it the reality when you can't afford the whole orchestra. Uh, so, you know, that's that's... I think I've always preferred to do that. Um, I think something very magical happens when you get musicians playing together. And if you're a lonely composer doing everything on their own and doing all the instruments, uh, something can be missing. And I think there's something that something wonderful happens when a, a collaboration happens. So getting musicians on takes the track into a, another world, I think. When was it in your career that you really uh, started to uh, uh, become exposed to the corporations like the BBC? How long did that take you? Um, I suppose it, it took me a couple of years, I suppose, of doing sort of corporate videos and things. I mean, I, I did the, the usual legwork, you know, phoning around and sending demos off and arranging meetings and going to see people. Um, it was a lot easier in those days. It's very difficult now because there's so many kids trying to do it. But in those days, you know, it was still, in order to do music for a living, you, you had to have a lot of equipment and the equipment was expensive. So, you know, there wasn't so many people doing it. So it, it was slightly easier to get on onto the bottom rung. Um, and then I got involved with a, um, a, a guy who was doing library music and, and got me to do some tracks on, on a library album. For people who don't know, a library album is a, a selection of tracks that are put out um, for free and sent to all the radio and TV stations. And when they use them on a program, then you get paid. And it was through doing tracks for that that... Um, BBC producers quite liked what I did on that and, and actually got me to do some stuff directly for them rather than doing it, you know, via a library. And as your career moved on, uh, I'm assuming, uh, particularly in recent years, that as the dynamics of the industry have changed and has, as technology has uh, become uh, so... Um, impactful on the industry that as you had mentioned earlier you've returned to uh, going and uh, out back onto the road traveling on the road uh, was that something that you expected no I, I didn't actually um but i'm loving it i mean i have to say i mean i'm not doing anything sort of earth shattering i'm just playing for a few bands as a session musician and, and just sort of you know doing doing work that comes along where where someone needs a keyboard player um, but there is something very nice about getting out and, and being with people uh, in that environment. As I said to you earlier with reference to the writing, um, when you're a composer in your own studio doing stuff, you start to get quite insular. Uh, you don't see many people, and I don't think it's very good for creativity. So I think actually it's good to get out and play with people and do stuff like that, because I think it, it gets the creative juices flowing again, I think. And, and as you travel uh, with, with other bands or with your band, I'm not uh, uh, completely clear on, on, on how, you, how you do that. Uh, are you noticing any new genres uh, over there uh, in the United Kingdom or, or even in Europe that are uh, coming onto the scene, like the, the new punk movement or, or, or anything else that, that particularly interests you as, as a, a, a trend? Not really, to be honest. I, I actually don't think that there's a lot new happening at all. I think uh, it's uh, quite cynical to say, but I do, I do think it's, it's actually almost all been done. I, I am dying to hear something that is really, really new and unique. Uh, but I think it's, you know, it's a lot of stuff re regurgitated, regurgitated from, from, you know, the past. 
and uh, it's been such a long time since certain bands been around that uh, new bands are able to bring that back again and it sounds fresh but you know you get to a certain age and you've heard it all before to be honest I, I have to ask the question is uh, uh, Top of the Pops still um, airing every week on BBC? No, Top of the Pops was uh, actually stopped uh, a couple of years ago now actually Oh, how sad. Uh, there, is, there is a move to have the brand <laughs> bought again and, and run it on ITV, but I don't think that's happened. And what was the so, reason? Uh, no, was, was and I'm sorry to interrupt, Andy, but what was the reasoning behind that? Because uh, when you and I were younger, Top of the Pops was uh, the event of the week. You, you had to uh, uh, get a cup of tea, sit down with a piece of cake and watch Top of the Pops. It was the the biggest avenue of uh, uh, marketing for groups back then. Um, what what changed that? Is it simply technology that even brought that institution to an end? I think it's just basically how important is pop music to the people who watch that program, and the answer is not as much as it used to be. Um, in our day, David, we, we grew up and we had our pocket money, and there wasn't a lot to spend our pocket money on. There were sweets and things, but the majority of stuff we, we spent our money on was the latest album or the latest single. Now we are battling with the same amount of pocket money, relatively speaking, but people are buying phone top-up cards they're getting their internet access sorted out they're buying a new computer they're buying xbox 360 and playstation games they're spending money on fashion much more on clothes and makeup and all that stuff so there's not a lot left for pop music and i think the parallel there is that music is not as important to young people as it used to be hence a program like top of the pops isn't you know a, an audience grabbing show anymore They'd I, rather have a reality show, I think. Which I, is a shame. I, I didn't actually realise that Xbox, uh, Xbox had hit the United Kingdom yet. And uh, oh yes, we've had one for a year. It's fantastic. Good lord! <laughs> it just it just shows uh, how how long it is since I've been across the pond. Um, and for you, what is your future? Uh, do you see by necessity having to change the way that you work, perhaps diversifying from what you've been used to producing? Um, yes, I mean, I, th I think that everybody in the music industry has to diversify. I think they have to look at where at ways to earn money, and hence me going and playing live again is just an example of that. You know, it's, it's supplementing the income that you once were able to make from just purely writing. Um, it's very difficult to know where it's going to go. I mean, all, all you can do is, is, just, is just keep trying, trying your best and, and hope that, that quality will out. I hope, hopefully, that there will be a backlash and, you know, television programs will, will seek sort of quality music again rather than going for, you know, stuff they can get for free. But, um, yeah, we shall see. It's, uh, it's, it's tough times ahead, I think. Do you think that there's a different marketplace in the United States versus the UK and Europe? For, I, I for really music? don't know enough about the American uh, marketplace to comment, really. I mean, it's a bigger country. Um, it's, um, it, I mean... As far as I'm aware, the composers there come across the same problems with, uh, you know, getting money, um, you know, from, from their performances and things that we do in this country. Um, it's just, I think it's bigger. But, um, but has, te has technology made it easier for, uh, for amateurs to produce the sort of music that you have in the past. Uh, maybe I should give uh, some sort of uh, cite an example for that. In photography, 
uh, photography really transformed itself back in the early 90s with the onset of the digital revolution. And, of course, for photographers, uh, they have been impacted so much by the fact that, that anybody can pick up a camera uh, and take a picture and uh, and uh, take on the, the approach that they are, are now a, a commercial working photographer and make money mm. money out of it. Uh, is, mm. that the same, is that the same sort of uh, um, paradigm that, that is hitting your industry? Yes. In fact, it's almost slightly worse, actually, because... I think with um, with photography, you know, you, you you still have to go out and buy a decent decent camera, don't you? You still have to have a get a reasonable camera. Um, in music now, um, everyone's got a PC at home, and what young people are doing is they're essentially downloading pirated illegal copies of music software that is able to do a hell of a lot these days, um, and able to create music on this software completely for free. I mean, they're absolutely completely for free. The software has comes with beats that they can put on, and then they can add a little bass line to it and, and a few chords on it. And they can actually make money from doing that without any outlay at all. And um, so you've got lots of people in their bedroom basically creating these tracks for free. I I was uh, very delighted to be able to talk to a photographer recently, Dana Hersey, in in Los Angeles, and we were discussing technology and and how it affects you uh, as an artist. And I did pose the question to him that perhaps technology today uh, makes you feel more like a technician than than it does uh, an an artisan, an artist, or a, a visionary. Mm. Uh, is that the case? And and is that is that driving uh, the output of music today to become more of a commodity and and less of a visionary process? It can, but I think you can actually fight against that by actually. Not rebelling against the technology, but, back, but going back to basics is what it is about music that ex- it has excited you. And, uh, for instance, you know, get, go back and sit down at a, a, just an ordinary grand piano and just play the piano and, and write tracks using, you know, musicians who are playing with you and, and go back to the basics. You know, a lot of the classic new albums that are coming out now, um, there's... Um, a few bands that are almost going back to basics now um, and just using sort of real musicians and something magical happens because like you say the the they 're feeling like artisans because it 's a traditional band playing together rather than assembling everything on a computer and I think that uh, if one can sort of stand apart and create, I suppose, their music using real musicians and things rather than using technology. They could almost create their own sound that is different and may stand apart from the mass-produced stuff. And this may be a, and this may be a generalization, Andy, but it appears to me that for artists, photographers, musicians, uh, graphic designers, that we really have to face up in the future to... Uh, reaping less reward financially, uh, yeah. and, and and having to make uh, very uh, uh, 
difficult decisions as to whether we want to remain uh, um, true to our art or whether we need to join the commercial bandwagon and uh, and and produce it on the basis of quantity and 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 not on uh, the artistic process itself. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's a very very va- valid point. I think uh, I think that. Um the amount of money that's been earned by the music industry has been ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's been obscene, to be honest. Um, you think of how much money was earned by the executives of the top floor of the of the major record labels. It, it, it's obscene amounts of money. And, uh, you know, those halcyon days that those people were living in are, are over now. And I think the whole industry has to, has to cut its cloth more and realize that this is not you know, instant billionaire job anymore. This is, you know, hard work and you might make a living from it, but you're certainly not going to become rich overnight. I think, you know, there'll be a few that might because they get sort of commercial tie-in deals and become sponsors of products and things, but the majority, you know, I think people are very surprised when you tell them how much these days you earn, you know, per track. If you get a track on an album, how much you earn. I think people assume you earn a lot more than you actually do. I think it's it's quite a surprise when you, when you tell them, they go, goodness me, I didn't realize it was that small. (laughs) It seems to me, Andy, that we are really controlled in our lives by the beauty of music. Uh, It has, through uh, our our history, um, been something that has united people. Uh, Music is uh, uh, such a wonderful uh, way of creating community. Um, is there a danger if music is going to become a commodity like this that uh, we as uh, separate nations will not have an identif- identity any further that can, uh, that can uh, present us um, uh, in the same way that it always did and so that we become generalized, we, we become uh, 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 common to, to, to one, set of, uh, w- one set of ideas, uh, which would then uh, break down that communication that we all have around the world? I don't know. I, I think there's, there'll always be two camps. I think you'll always get the commodity and you'll always get, you know, um, the mass-produced but I think there will always be the unique and the individual and the, create, the creative and the inspired. I don't think that will ever die. I think that's part, that's the way God made us. I think there's that creative um, spark in us. And uh, yes, there will always be the mass-produced in the same way as, you know, you can go and get a mass-produced uh, set of cups and saucers and plates, but you will also go and, and buy a beautifully handmade one that someone's beautifully painted. I think there will always be that. Well, uh, I don't believe that will die. With that in mind, what is the uh, we have to take uh, in in the world that we live in today? Uh, we obviously are um, being suppressed in so many ways by technology that was designed to to be of great benefit. It seem <clears throat> it seems that technology is now uh, subduing us. Um, what is it that we have to do uh, as as artists or, or in any in in any position in life to ensure that technology can benefit us uh, rather than uh, drown us? I don't know. It's a very very it's a very very interesting question. Um, perhaps it's not to be a prisoner of it. Perhaps it's to know when to say no or know when to draw the line or or when to sort of 
seek other ways of doing things rather than always jumping to to technology to do it for us. You know, I mean, there's there's different ways of doing tracks. You know, you go into a studio. Um, there's there's the easy way where I can get some guitar sort of pipe sounds and I can assemble them and I can make it sound like a guitar player playing, or I can choose to phone up a good guitarist and get him in the studio and to put his wonderful playing on my piece. I think it's all about choices, and I think we we have to start making the right choices and not be beholden to technology. You know, I suppose anything in small small doses is the old saying. I think you know technology is good, but I think if we let it run everything, I think we lose what makes us you know what gives us the human spirit. I think. For you as a composer, is there a particular? Uh, delivery of information or a medium right now that can help us in that regard uh, is it perhaps the power of film or documentary with with uh, startling soundtracks that that can pull us more back to where we were um, i think people are, yeah i think people are very very surprised when you demonstrate to them how a the feel of a film can change if you change the music I mean, I, i've done a couple of little seminars just you know to help out in sort of colleges and things where they're doing a course on writing music for film and they wanted me to explain the process and i've done little experiments where i've um taken a piece of film and i've put alternative soundtracks on it to, to completely change the feel of the film however good the pictures are however good the directing is however good the lighting cameron has done his job put the wrong soundtrack on it and it tells a completely different story and i think people are actually quite amazed at the difference that the, the music soundtrack can make to to the picture and so i think that you're, you're right i think that when you get that piece of spine tingling music in a film I think that really does make people realize that there's something, this, this is the way that people are transported uh, into the film almost. It's almost total immersion because you're being immersed into that film because your emotions are being touched by, by the music. It's the music that, that's adding the emotion. Take the music away and you don't get the tears. It's, it's the music that brings the tears. Are there any films from the past that you have been influenced by? I mean, if we go back to the 60s, back to the the great directors like David Lean and Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai, uh, is is that sort of com- composition, is that sort of music now uh, at its demise? Uh, do you think that we're going to see that sort of uh, uh, powerful music again? I, I think, to be honest with you, that, that the music that's coming out in the, in the later films is superb. I actually have been very encouraged. Um, you know, the music of David Arnold, for instance, who does all the music for the, James, the later James Bond films. Uh, it, I think his, his soundtracks are stunning. I mean, yes, he uses a mixture of modern sounds and orchestra, but I think that the suspense that he brings in, in the fast scenes, the, the emotional um, music he brings in the sadder scenes is, is superb. It's an example of a young composer who's doing stuff now. And uh, you only have to look at things like the, the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and, and hear the music on that. Um, I, I think it's quite encouraging, actually. I still think the film music is, is still very, very high quality and uh, 
you know, I'm quite encouraged by by the soundtracks that are coming out in in the uh, in later films. Actually, what about what about for you, Andy, as an artist? What are you looking to achieve yourself when you create a piece of music? Is it something that you, uh, as as a mindset that you you have to put on uh, for a t- particular piece? Are you thinking about how that hits you emer- emotionally, personally, or are you constantly focused on how it's going to hit your your audience? You have to put the audience first. Um, it depends what you're writing for. If you're writing a song for your own benefit or you're writing a song for your wife, for instance, the, the track on, my, um, on the medley that you played, the last one is a, a song I wrote for uh, Dame Shirley Bassey, a singer here. And uh, basically, uh, that was an anniversary song that I wrote for my wife, and I wanted my emotion and her emotion to come through the song and so that other people would, would be able to, you know, capture it but i essentially wrote it for my wife it was a a present to her but if you're writing a piece of music for a a particular product or or a a show you have got to put the the audience first you've got to say what can i write that will help transport that member of the audience into the program what can i do to make this program better what can i do to enhance the pictures not detract from them you always have to put that first if you just write what you feel like writing you're kind of doing a disservice to your client because he wants something that fits hand in glove. He doesn't want something that I've written staring out the window thinking of raspberries. Do you know what I mean? I understand I understand what you're saying. Uh, and it, it must be extremely difficult for you to retain a, a positive outlook um, in, in everything that you're doing, Andy, mm. it, it, given your given the circumstances of the of the world that we live in and the yeah. economy, uh, mm. it, are your are your uh, visions, uh, are your uh, challenges and objectives somewhat skewed at this stage? I think, as you said earlier, the, the the diversification. I think it's knowing which which way to go and what more can you diversify into to carry on doing. It, you know, this particular job because I mean I'm not a I'm not an A-league composer I'm not one of these sort of top film composers I'm a guy who who writes sort of bits and pieces on television and bits and pieces of corporate it, it's you know there's there's certainly people out there who are getting all the choice sort of film jobs and um, I, I'm not in their league and and I'd like to be obviously we'd all like to be but um, that there is lots there's there is work to be got in the in sort of the middle ground which I'm in as well and I think you just have to just keep pushing away at it and and looking at ways to to earn money and and to to do things slightly differently perhaps to create your own sound you know trying to go back perhaps to more traditional sounding instruments that to to make people realize that that there is something different than the electronic sort of sounding music which television does seem to be very much dominated by it's just finding little niches and um and also basically just showing the, the the client you know that you can get on with them and that you're, you're there to please them and to make their program better. I think you, if the passion, I think if the passion for your art comes over, I think that's quite infectious. I think people pick up on your passion. And the future for you, Andy, in, uh, in these uh, coming years, in the next two or three years, and the future of the business. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think it's 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 an unknown. It's an unknown at the moment. It's. I will carry on doing what I'm doing as best I can and uh, diversifying with live stuff 
Um, I'd like to do some more. I mean, I'd like to travel more uh, live-wise because I, I actually enjoy playing live very much, and I'd like to do more of that. I'd love to do a film. I mean, that's that's a, an ambition of mine. I've had music of mine used in films, uh, but that's very much been music that's already been written that they've chosen to put in the film. I've never actually written a, a film score from beginning to end. I mean, that's perhaps an ambition that I'd love to do one day. And uh, I've written film-type music for, for for big corporate jobs, but uh, to do a to do a feature film would be would be fantastic. And um, I, I think I'd love to do it, and I'd have a lot to bring to the table. I think. And I'm assuming that you're working in London, Andy, or do you do you work at home? No, I, I have. I, I'm in Oxford, actually, um, home of Radiohead. You mentioned them earlier. Yes. I'm actually uh, I'm actually based in Oxford, just a little village uh, south of Oxford. I have a, a purpose-built recording studio, which uh, I had built when we moved to this house, uh, which is a lot cheaper than renting premises. And I'm, assu- I'm, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you live in a sixty-bedroom uh, Tudor house in the middle of the country yeah. in a in a no, uh, three-three-three-thousand-acre uh, American thing of, of <laughs> where British people live. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's a modest house in a village. It's uh, it's got a um, a nice garden, and it's um, the studio is is basically next to the house and. Uh, it, it's great. It's soundproof, so it means that if I have to work through the night, because very often, you know, things like TV commercials, for instance, they give you about a day to do it, so you end up working all through the night. And uh, and to be able to work through the night without anyone hearing you is, is fantastic. You know, you have the musicians turning up and three in the morning, and you shuffle them into the studio to do their bit, and no one can hear them. And it, it's great. <laughs> and, and I suppose that you're constantly fed uh, fairy cakes and cups of teas by your good wife. Oh, she's wonderful like that, but I don't think she's quite as wonderful at three in the morning fairy cakes into the studio. I think she needs a bit of sleep. She, she works very hard. She works for a charity looking after sick children, and, and she's, uh, yeah, she's, she, she's, a, she's a great lady. Well, Andy, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, we wish you so much luck in the future. I Thank wanted you. to uh, let our listeners have your website, if you would like to just provide them with your website, Andy. Yes, indeed. It's very easy to remember. It's www.neve.co.uk. And uh, we have a blog at davidgibbons.org, and I'm sure that our listeners would love to be able to uh, converse with you. Uh, uh, if, if you would be so kind, Andy, you can get, uh, get to that through our main site. And again, it's been an absolute pleasure. We hope to talk to you again in the future, and uh, hoping you uh, have a wonderful Christmas with your family. Thank you very much, David. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening today. We hope you've enjoyed the program on our arts and entertainment section uh, that uh, will be every Wednesday uh, in the future. And we hope that wherever you are in this world, that you are happy and well, and we look forward to seeing you again. Meanwhile, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 